everyone. Welcome to the Culture of Truth. This is a podcast that reviews the truth of God's word and discusses the influence it has on our lives and worldview. My name is Will Hawkins, and today I have with me my good friend, Jeff Amstutz. What's up, everybody? In this episode, we continue in our brief series on God's incommunicable attributes found in chapter 11 of Wayne Grudem's book, Systematic Theology. Today, we'll be focusing on God's omnipresence and what that means for us. Let's go ahead and check in with each other before we begin. Jeff, it's been a few weeks since I've seen you, so yeah. um, I hope you're doing well. Yeah. And just as far as this week, what is a, an experience that you've had in relation to God's truth? Man, I just really enjoy uh, my friend Jimmy McNeil mm. and seeing him go through so much and uh, it's really cool to also be with him in a time of celebration and he's been working on a lot of personal music. And so I've just seen a simple case of God blessing him with uh, an incredible team around him to put out a a solo album uh, that is just incredible. I think it's actually going to be a bunch of music, uh, multiple records, but his first single from that whole giant project came out yesterday Mm -hmm. and the reaction's been great. I think it's top-notch music. It's a blessing to be a part of that man's life. And it's cool to see someone who's so faithful uh, in in his faith as an elder at the Austin Stone, as a worship leader, to also see his creative side get blessed. Uh, so I just love, um, my, my heart's full of joy seeing God um, be glorified in Jimmy's art. Mm-hmm. And what a cool thing to to get to see happen unfold from prior to the music came out, got to hear it and pick man, it's going to be really cool. And now to see that, that finish line. Yes. Yeah, very cool. Since you play for him, you've, you've gotten a chance to listen to a lot of the songs. Yeah. The album. Yeah. Um, yeah. The song that you're referencing for, for, is for what, for what it's worth. I did not play on the record, right? But my goodness, I got to see a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. How cool. Yeah. And the song that you're referencing is called a little while longer. Mm-hmm. Go listen to it right now. Yeah. It's so good. It's on Spotify. <laughs> I was I was actually singing that <laughs> on my way in today. Yeah. Um, it's a really good song. What about how, you, Will? How I've experienced God's truth this week and really over the past few weeks, I would say sanctification. So God's continual continuous work in my life to bring me closer to him. I recorded we recorded a few episodes back. Jeff and I had a conversation one on one. And I had mentioned that something that I was processing through with um, with a counselor at the time was perfectionism and that how that was kind of what was causing me to feel some depression and anxiety, some, some things going on in my life. I have since <laughs> done more work and realized that that was really just a fruit of an, of an actual deeper, deeper problem going on, a deeper sin. And so since then, God's been really good to just allow me to confess that sin with my counselor and work through that even more. So, man, just <laughs> there's been a there's really been a night and day difference. There's my wife and I were talking the other day or yesterday actually, and she just had so much joy, like tears were in her eyes, just being able to say like I've seen a difference in you. Like this yeah, is amen. so much better. That's awesome. Um, so there's so much more joy. There's a lightness to me. Um, 
Yeah, man. Like so I haven't God's... seen Will this happy. He walked into my house today. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, Jeff, I'm so good to see. It's so good to see you. Let's go. Let's record. I'm so you out a little bit. I was bit. like, whoa. <laughs> like, Will. Your energy level is really right. different right now. But I love it. Keep coming. It feels good, dude. It feels good. So He hasn't even finished his coffee yet. No, I'm actually, I've actually been on decaf <laughs> <laughs> lately, my wife and I, for some health stuff. Um, which has been good, but I went to summer, my my wife's going to hear this and be like, what? I went to summer moon and got an excellent coffee place. Oh yeah. I went to a coffee place nearby and, uh, got myself a coffee that has, it's not decaf. So I was walking in here. That's not why I was super happy though. (laughs) I know. I'm just like teasing you, man. Joy of the Lord. That's right. Not joy of summer moon. So not just a little jittery, just a little bit. So a little pumped. It's actually a one, two punch. Yeah, you, you had a you had joy in your heart, and then it got amplified. Mm, and I'm feeling it pulsing in my head right now. It's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, then Jeff went and got himself a little espresso. <laughs> had, had to match this energy level, so I have an espresso as well. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. Cool. <laughs> so Jeff, we talked about God's eternality last episode. Yep. That is how God is not bound to time, and how our confined existence in time is something that does not confine God. Right. So just as God is unlimited or infinite with respect to time, God is also unlimited with respect to space. Yeah. So this is the characteristic of God's nature we will be discussing today in God's omnipresence. So, Jeff, with that, can you give us just more of an overview of what God's omnipresence is? Yeah. So in chapter 11 of Systematic Theology, we're looking at point four, and Grudem defines God's omnipresence as follows. God's omnipresence may be defined as God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point in space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different places. And there's a number of scriptures that get brought up um, that, you know, give us insight into why this we come to this conclusion from a systematic view of the Bible. A uh, number of different scriptures that, that Grudem uh, backs up some of these points in here. The first one being that God is present everywhere. And this idea of, uh, in, in Jeremiah, specifically Jeremiah 23, it says, Am I a God at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and earth, says the Lord? And this notion uh, God has to make clear uh, through this kind of rhetorical uh, questioning kind of it kind of to me is similar to how job is but the point being is that prophets were thinking that their thoughts their actions could in some way shape or form be hidden from god and god just straight up is like no well you can't hide from me and uh he mentions a psalm uh there's a bunch of different passages here but this idea that god is present everywhere is something that is what makes this incommunicable or an attribute that we don't really share in and kind of what goes with that is his second point. Uh, Gruden says that, that God does not have spatial dimensions, meaning there is no space that can confine God. Uh, for instance, this is in First Kings. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. That's talking about the temple. So th- this, and that's one of multiple passages that come up in the idea of uh, God just is not something, is not a person who can be contained by space. And that's a good thing, uh, because we'll, we'll get into that with how it affects our lives. But, uh, we just, it's pretty clear in scripture that God is not 
um, just larger than creation. He is um, infinite in space. And so the last point that gets brought up by Grudem is that even though God's everywhere, he does, his presence is felt for different purposes and, and looks different depending on what he's doing. And so he can be present to punish, to sustain, or to bless. Um, very, very specifically, punishment's pretty clear. Wrath against sin, wrath against rebellion against him. Uh, sustain would be God's presence is necessary for life and all matter to just keep going because God could just decide to say all of creation just doesn't need to exist anymore if he wanted to. And then to bless. And then uh, Grudem specifically camps out on blessing because that's the most common way that God's presence is talked about in the Bible, that God's presence is associated with God's blessing. We'll keep those things in mind as we, uh, as we talk about this, Will, but really the biggest takeaway is that God is everywhere and he cannot be contained, but his presence can be felt differently at different times and in different places. Thanks, Jeff. As I was reading this, <laughs> I was, I just sat there and I'm like, God is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, definitely felt my heart just swell to this uh, doctrine. So I'm excited to talk about this. And so with that, as we move into our discussion, we frame we frame that discussion around three different categories, and that's the head, the heart, and the hands. The head being how does the word engage our mind and our understanding? The heart, the, the feeling, the emotion is how is our trust grown and emotions are cultivated by the truths of God's word? And then so the hands, the do, how do we obey and live out this truth? What do we do next? Mm. So let's go ahead and start with, with think. What are some of the thoughts that uh, were going on in your head as you were reading this? Yeah. When I was reading this again, uh, this wasn't the first time that I've read this, this particular chapter, that when I think of um, God's presence, I always default to the communicable side of God's presence, so the relational side. So, for instance, uh, when you are present with someone, it is not just that you and that other person exists in the same place, but usually there's a relational, like you're engaging with each other. And, uh, this, this entire section is really just dealing with the incommunicable side of more of like the physical space, spatial aspect of God's presence. And, um, in that third section where God can be present to punish, sustain, or bless God being present to bless, whether it's bless us with, um, just communion together, blessing of something specific like a need or a want or whatever it is, uh, that that is actually overlapping with an, a communicable notion of being able to relate to God. And so it this really refreshed in my head that there is an entire incommunicable side of God's presence where me as a person can only be in one place at one time and God isn't limited by that. Mm. Man, one of the things too that I was kind of wrestling with this before, if God is everywhere, then what does that mean for hell? Because I've always grown up with the with the ta the teaching that hell is the absence of God. Yeah. And so when we think of God's omnipresence being everywhere, what's his relationship to hell? Yeah, I th that I think harkens back to what I was saying earlier about um God being in relationship as a more communicable thing. And so, you know, Wayne Grudem mentions in this chapter that there's these three uh, clear categories um, that maybe aren't 
the only words we can use to describe this, but three different distinct ways God is present, present to punish, to sustain, and to bless. And so God being present to punish is is fine in terms of God being present in hell, but that's different than saying uh, you are not in the presence of God relationally. He forever will turn his face away from you. Uh, that that from a relational perspective much more matches what that verbiage is when someone says that hell is the absence of God. It's the absence of being able to even relate to God. You're just left to your sinful desires uh, and what a terrible place that is. And so the different ways that God relates uh, to space, like in different locations, is different than him saying that he doesn't exist there at all. If you're with somebody, there's this implied you are not only physically in the same place, but you are relating, like you're maybe having a conversation, you're uh, interacting with that person. So that's different if you're in a hospital and someone's in a coma and let's say a guy is in a bed, he's in a coma, his name is Bob, <laughs> and you're in the room. Are you with Bob? Mm. In some regards, yes, you're in the same room, but are you with Bob? No, because Bob's not there. He is in a coma. And so the to, when when someone says hell is the absence of God, first I would want to ask them what they mean. And then two, uh, I, I really think it's the communicable side, which is far worse. Um, because that's, that's the whole reason that God reveals himself to us is to relate to us. And if that's gone, it's almost like who cares where he is physically because he's not with you per se. Mm. Yeah, that's, that is really helpful. That, that is probably one of the most helpful things that I've heard and read in, in relation to the three categories to punish, to sustain and to bless. Right that have really helped me to speak directly towards that, what we just brought up about hell and, and where his, where his presence is there. Yeah. One of the interesting things that we see with this, whenever we're saying that God is everywhere, there is a belief out there and that's, it's called pantheism, right? So that's going to help us kind of talk about what this doctrine isn't saying. Yeah. Yeah. And so pantheism, what that is, is, it is the belief that reality is identical with divinity or that all things compose an all-encompassing imminent God. And so just in another way to say that is they don't, and I had to look this up, they, don't, they do not celebrate a distinct personal or anthropomorphic. What is anthropomorphic? Taking on relatable, typically human attributes. Mm -hmm. So anthropomorphic God, but accept all gods into worship because they view God and this is important as everything and everyone and everyone and everything as God. So it's mm. that God is present within every single material thing. Yeah. So why, how does that, when we think of that and then think of this doctrine, what's the disconnect? Yeah. That makes me think of Romans one when the, the darkened heart of man decided to worship creation instead of the creator. And so if you, if you, you mash those things together, uh, you, you get this problem of you're worshiping a distinct, holy, separate being in God, and you're worshiping worshiping creation, which is straight up sin. And so we we can't we can't make those things. It's like oil and water going together. They just they just cannot combine. 
um, this idea of worshiping creation is worshiping God. Uh, they're just, they're different beings. And so the, the thing for me is when I see scripture, it's always God being a separate being altogether that relates to and participates in creation, but is not creation very, very clearly. Mm. Yeah. And what this is also not saying is that part of God is in one place and another part of God and God is in another place at another time. Mm, yeah. 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 Um, yeah and because creation has 3d representation and it was in time and all of that stuff. Yeah. And so that's, what's most interesting for me. And that's where, as I think about a lot of this stuff, it's really hard for me to get God's being out of spatial terms. Yeah. Uh, because I'm have a, human in uh, finite, not infinite. Right. I have a finite mind. Right? right. So a lot of this stuff is, is really above our normal thinking and our, on our, it's very heady. Yeah. Right. And so that's our whole, our goal, whole goal of doing this po- kind of podcast is to be able to make this relatable and bring this down into, into conversations that, and like communicate this in a way that we all can kind of start to to really have those discussions. Yeah, there, there's a really interesting overlap. I want to nerd out for a sec, but I'm going to try to keep it high level, which is uh, if you enjoy theoretical physics, then there's all kinds of theories out there about there being more dimensions than space and time. Mm. And so for in- science, for anyone out there, I'm going to use it as this definition. Science is trying to just observe what already exists. Okay? It's not anything more than that. So we try to observe what exists and then maybe make some conclusions. But what I find fascinating is if someone's like creating math to figure out that maybe there's more than just space and time, just the fact that someone's detecting that might exist to me points to the existence of God, Mm. where there's dimensions of activity that are beyond our sight and understanding from our direct senses. Uh, Now, are they exactly precisely correct? Like... There are theories, like I, th- I think string theory thinks there's like 23 dimensions or something like that. I don't know. The whole point is not that there actually is a scientific theory that explains like where God operates. But for me, it's just really high level of like, hmm, cool. The math works out that it's completely <laughs> rational that there could be more things going on in the universe than just totally. the things we can feel and see and smell and all that. Totally. So uh, for me, it, it, it's not that science told me that it's it's more confirming like cool scripture's mm. not crazy mm. for saying there's stuff that's happening that you can't see or understand i was listening to grudem's on a podcast version which is really just his lectures which are excellent by the way yeah and it, it's helpful because they were talking about how every other every other religion aside from christianity doesn't this is where in in a lot of other different areas but this is one that they it doesn't align with where the Bible, the Bible aligns with the way that the study of physics talks about mm. in relation to matter and, and time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And all the other religions have wrestle with that and they don't, they don't really connect to that. Mm-hmm. So that's, what's interesting, interesting. And in, in his book, in Wayne Grudem's book, systematic theology, he says the study of physics tells us that matter and time and space must all occur together. If there is no matter, there is no space or time either. So what's interesting that and how that connects is that the fact that God created all things and that he himself is an immaterial, immaterial spirit helps us to think about his omnipresence because 
he existed before everything. You just, you talked about last episode, he's eternality. Right. Right. So he existed before time, before any type of matter existed. He created that. Yeah. Yeah. What the study of physics is saying, this is me nerding out now. All right. Bring it on. Is that, and this is also me trying to process this. Yeah. So it's saying that when God created everything, he created matter, physical things. That's when time began. Right. Because then there was a succession of events. Mm-hmm. And that's what, how Wayne Grudem is defining time, essentially. Yeah. It's a, uh, a series of events that happen after one another. Mm-hmm. And so that has really helped me to then be like, okay, God, if he's able to create these things, then he himself must be able to not be a material thing. Right. <laughs> that just wouldn't make sense. Which actually then, this kind of pivots then towards the heart of like then... It, it really puts Christ in dwelling or putting on flesh and, and dwelling a, a human body yeah. even more because you can see the laying down parts of his divinity, um, not, not laying them down as in getting rid of them, but deciding to not um, invoke th- things he could do as a divine being. Uh, he decided to live a human life, to be one of the things that's, so we're an image bearer. Mm. And uh, so that all that means is when people look at us, they should see attributes of God. Like when you look at a photo, I can see visually something that looks like you, even though it's actually ink on a paper. And uh, when, so people want to look at, look at us, they should see some form of ink that is showing us what God is like. And Jesus, Christ, the son of God decided to come and be one of these images meaning there's all kinds of this incommunicable stuff that he left behind. And, you know, Philippians 2 says that his divinity was not something uh, that was considered to be grasped, as in he, he decided to put those rights down, even though he clearly demonstrated divine power anyway. So, yeah, my, my affections for Christ are just blown up because all of this incommunicable stuff is stuff that uh, Christ decided in becoming human to lay aside. Yeah. And that's one of the, we talked about the Lord being present or God being present has been having being present and is present in special ways. And one of them is, uh, in the presence of Christ, right. Christ coming down. Yeah. Uh, in, in relation to heart, I think this question that I have gets to that. And I think a lot of what a lot of people have told me before, what I've heard growing up, I've had people take this idea, this, this reality that God is everywhere and is present at all times, that he's not bound to space or time or anything. He has no dimension that he's everywhere. God is spirit, uh, that he's not limited to a specific location, that he's always with me. Right. So then they're saying that because he's everywhere and that I can worship him from everywhere, I can have a, a wor- I can worship and have a relationship with God from my living room. Yeah. So they're not necessarily wrong, but how should we view corporate worship and our heart posture towards that in light of God's God's omnipresence? That what comes to mind is when we went back and talked about uh, the doctrines of the Word of God, and we were talking about inerrancy and authority that. When Jesus references scripture and challenges the Pharisees, uh, the assumption is always that the Pharisees did not understand, not that the scriptures were wrong. And so it's not that the scriptures needed to change, it's the people's hearts needed to change. 
And that's a really like super huge theme of the New Testament uh, of Christ, and even the Old Testament with rebellion against God. It was the people's hearts are what was wrong. So when I think of corporate worship, it's, it's not about is God more there or more not there or in your living room. It's are you on your side going to be more with God there or in your living room or whatever. The, the issue is not God's side. It's always our sick heart side. So when Jesus says uh, in Matthew 6, hey, go pray in a closet. Don't, don't pray for adulation of other people to see you when you're grander, when you're praying. Go pray in your closet. It's not because there's more God in your closet, but you will be more with God in your closet. And that's, that's, so when I, when I think of corporate worship, I'm going there because that's going to stir my heart for me to be more with God there. Um, it's not that God's actually more there, but I will be more there. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and then, so kind of an extension off of that, what does it mean when we hear this phrase a lot where it's like, even in in prayer, sometimes God, we ask you to come, come to us, come, come be in our presence, Hmm. come down, you know, how to, what does that mean? I (laughs) think if we think about this. So for me, uh, I've come to understand that the most is an invitation to the person of the Holy spirit to come do the things that the Holy spirit was sent to us for. So come be with us to, straight from John 14 and John 16 to point us to Christ, point us to the teachings of Christ, remind us um, of what God's word says to empower us, to obey, to show us, um, to give us clarity in, in interpreting uh, Jesus's teaching, uh, all these things. That's what the Holy spirit was given for um, is for us to continue the ministry of what Jesus started. The, he is the helper and we, we haven't gotten to the Trinity. Um, I hope that'd be a really cool episode to do. That might be multiple episodes because it's a, it's a big doctrine. But each person of God is fully God. There's God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. When we're inviting God and saying, come down to us, um, that I, I think that is most appropriately applied to inviting the Holy Spirit to come do the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that as Jesus promised. Yes, I'm doubt. Sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. And I guess for me personally, when I think about the heart side of this and what this doctrine, the emotions that it cultivates in me is that if he's everywhere and Wayne Grudem talks about this in the, in kind of the closing of his chapter, which we'll get into, but there's no, there's no deepness there's nowhere that i can really turn into or hide from that he's not there mm-hmm. so when i think from a hard standpoint i feel like i can i can withdraw from people i can go to my house i can go to my room and then i can be sitting there and i can be just in my head and in my heart but ultimately he's still there yeah like there's nowhere there's just nowhere that i can turn from yeah. That's going to avoid him. I, I think that that's the best way to combine heart and hands together is that you should never avoid being fully vulnerable mm-hmm. with yourself, your sin and your faith to God. And then as an extension to that, to other Christians, especially because they're you there, it's a fake sense of privacy that you have with God. God's omnipresence 
very clearly points us to, you never really were private. And that's the best news for you because if, if you're in Christ, God already saw all of your sin. He experienced it very vividly in time. And he was also there when it happened. So God's omnipresence says, hey, he was there when you sinned. Mm. He, he, he wasn't like not there. And so mm. when you are talking with, you're confessing to him, you're asking him to help you turn away from your sin. You're doing that with other believers. Uh, it, it's, it's not new to him. It's kind of like a very closely related to last week's um, yeah. kind yeah. of heart and hands, but it's very similar of he was physically there when you sinned. And that's good news for you because it's not like you got something to, you're going to have to get off your chest and finally tell God Yeah, that's more about your heart. It's not like he, he needs to uh, get new information from you. Totally. I think that's so cool how this connect, it connects to what I spoke about in my check-in. Yeah. God was with me in that certain stage of my life where I thought that I had some things figured out. Right. But then he started to reveal more to me as I sought out his help and his mm-hmm. guidance. Yeah. Right. And so now he's like, okay, you're ready for this. So he kind of takes off a little bit more of my blinders on, on, that I had around me. Cause it's like, I was ignorant. Like I, I really, I just keep going back to thinking about it. It's like, man, I really, I really had this figured out. Um, and I really thought that I was, I thought I was expressing what I needed to express. I thought I was getting everything out, but I was really just trying to justify and keep, keep my sin within my own heart, thinking that nobody, nobody else outside can see it, can see it. When in reality, God was there the entire time. That takes me to one of the, one of the last things in, in the chapter that, that Grudem speaks to. And it's by a man, Herman Bavin, Bavink, probably said that really wrong. But he says, when you wish to do something evil, you retire from the public into your house where no, in, where no enemy may see you. From those places of your house, which are open and visible to the eyes of men, you remove, you remove yourself into your room. Even in your room, you fear some witnesses from another quarter. You retire into your heart. There you meditate. He is more inward than your heart. Mm. Wherever, therefore, you shall have fled there he is from yourself whither will you flee will you not follow yourself wherever you shall flee but since there is one more inward even than yourself there is no place where you may flee from god angry but to god reconciled there is no place at all whither you may flee will you flee from him flee unto him Mm, that's right what a great passage to end with So, but with that, everyone, that's all we have today. We thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and we hope that you were encouraged and equipped in truth. Please share this with a friend or loved one so that way others can also be reminded of God's truth today. As always, thank you for listening to the Culture of Truth podcast. Until next time. See you later. Have a good one, everybody.